Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. A marketing and social media manager at Turner Classic Movies, you can see the work of today's wonderful guest, Diana Bosch, on the network's social accounts, creatively spreading the joy of classic movies with fans around the globe. Diana's love of old Hollywood and the classics can be traced back to TV's I Love Lucy and the film noir that's similarly one of my favorites, Laura. Additionally, one area of her research and expertise is on the actor William Holden, which will come in especially handy today. Diana, I want to thank you so much for being here. I've always enjoyed your friendly way and your enthusiasm for old movies on social. So it's great having you here. How are you doing and how's fall treating you so far? Thanks, Jen. That's so nice. Oh, I feel so nice. (laughs) Um, No, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for asking me and things are going great. Um, It's 430 as the time we record. So it's going to get dark so soon. It's kind of that crazy time period. (laughs) We're still adjusting, but um, (laughs) everything's going good. Good. I'm glad to hear it. As someone who grew up watching Turner Classic Movies back when it was new in the 90s, obviously you're working at not only my favorite television network, but a lot of serious film fans as well. I would love to know what your relationship is with TCM, how you came to work with the channel, and what it's like behind the scenes bringing so much knowledge and cheer to timelines everywhere on social media. Um, it's truly a dream come true. I'm the same way. I actually grew up with AMC because my area didn't have, um, see, we're, we're aging ourselves here. I know. Um, yeah. And we were so lucky back then when you had both, cause you would get the Paramount movies and the Fox movies and then whatever yep. TCM had. So such a smorgasbord. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, eventually we got TCM and I think it was, like in 97. So it had been around for three years because I lived in Florida and we didn't have, um, it just wasn't available yet. So it's kind of crazy to see those old commercials from when we were so young, where it's like, call your cable provider. And it's just so (laughs) a different time, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I just, I always loved TCM because, um, it had that feel where when you watched it, you felt like you were transported to that old era with that like old jazzy music in between and the those Baker. yeah <laughs> no I remember watching that when I was getting ready for school and it was just such a it really set the scene mm-hmm. um and yeah that was my favorite part of watching it were the in-between stuff which still is and yeah the fact that I can produce some of those things that actually go on air is just Still, I can't believe it. <laughs> um, yes, oh my it's goodness. Just, it's truly a dream come true. Um, it's so nice to work there because it's we're a small staff and oh, everyone there just loves movies. So, and everyone has a different um, like education of film where you're constantly learning. And that's the great thing about being a movie fan. You're just yeah. always being exposed to new things. Um, I remember one time I was thinking like, I'm never going to see all the movies. 
Yes. (laughs) And so it's so cool just, you know, seeing like talking to people about certain things that you maybe haven't been exposed to as much and, or maybe there's an actor that just never really connected with you, but this person really likes them. And, you know, you might not, you might go watch their film and it may still not connect with you, but then you understand like just how, why they're important or what their place was. And I always think that's really cool. Like I've learned so much about George Brent. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Who I just doesn't really connect with me, but like yeah. I can understand his trajectory and why he was so good at being the leading man for such um, actresses like Betty Davis and Barbara Stanwyck. And that's just always really cool. You know, it's not just, the banner stars like Vivian Mm -hmm. Lee, Errol Flynn, those people were, you know, the fact that you can always learn so much more about other people is really cool. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the thing. Like you will never watch all the films because I was just talking with my friend Walter Cha last week about classic Gothic cinema. And we were going on about our blind spots And I'm like, oh, I'm embarrassed. I didn't get this or this. And he's like, Jen, it's so overwhelming to think we will never see all the movies. And you're aware of it, but you're still, you want to. And so I love that about what you were saying exactly, where everybody has a different niche or an area. There's nothing more infectious than somebody passionate about something they love. So even if like George Brent or whoever it may be, like for our mutual friend, Kate Gabrielle, it might not be Tyrone Power, or but she at least appreciates other friends who love these people. And yeah, so it sounds like a really positive environment and a good place to spread um, the love of film. I remember watching TCM. My idol was, of course, Robert Osborne. And I, you know, being like a teenager at the time, I used to watch that and think, okay, what I want to do when I'm done with college, like, I didn't know how you did this, but like, I want to go work for TCM because I just assumed that what Robert Osborne did was hang out in that room all day and like be on the couch with all the cushy movies and just, you know, hang out, talk about film. And I'm like, that is the best way to make a living. So, yeah. (laughs) What's so nice about um, TCM is we have a lot of longtime uh, employees. So the woman who runs our studio group was one, like has been there since 96. So has been there with Robert Osborne. And um, it's always nice to hear, like, I always ask her Robert Osborne stories because I never got to meet him, but I just you know, talking to her and hearing about like the private screenings and all these other um, things that she was a part of, you just really, I'm so much more appreciative of him than ever before, because he really set the tone of the channel and the people who work there. You know, there's, I feel like when you watch TCM, you like he was your friend, you know, and I think the hosts try really hard to do that. It's like, you know, the, these are why we love the movies. I know some people think with our recent reframed that it was trying to say we shouldn't like them, but that's not the case. When you love something, you want to see it through so many eyes and that's really important. And so that's, what's so nice about, you know, Robert's legacy is you have that with the people that work there and the channel's mission. And it just gets stronger because you just have that one person who is such a personable 
figure who loved film. And another thing I love about Robert Osborne was um, famously talking about how Lucy was his, Lucille Ball, you know, Lucy, the only Lucy. <laughs> um, like I like the one knows. and only. Yes. <laughs> Might as well be. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lucille Ball was his mentor. And at the time he was an actor and she said, you know, I think you'd be better served as a film historian writing about film. And that just wasn't a thing happening back then. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think they were looking back at um, the history of film at the time, which I guess was like early sixties or something, uh, which makes sense, you know? And so the fact that he was able to make his passion, his profession is so inspiring. And it's so much of what, um, people in film do now, you know, on Twitter, I feel like you're seeing a new generation of classic film historians or archivists or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, writers. And I always think about Robert Osborne. He was kind of the original in that sense, you know, of really opening the doors and saying like, Hey, like these things matter, these people matter. And, um, that's really the mission of TCM. And I think, you know, the people we bring on, that's kind of the goal. Yeah, it kind of bridged academia with entertainment. And so you were getting information, but it was also, as you said, it was like getting it from a friend, like having a conversation or that personable um, touch that only a host or a a warm person like Robert Osborne, who's very knowledgeable, can bring. Yeah, absolutely. Well, recently I received the gorgeous new Audrey Hepburn box set from Paramount, which packages together seven of her most famous and a few eclectic titles in one collection on both Blu-ray and digital copy. The set includes Roman Holiday, Sabrina, Paris When It Sizzles, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Funny Face, My Fair Lady, and War and Peace. And in trying to figure out the best way to celebrate it and take a look at some of these films, I was reminded by our good friend Kate about your love of Audrey. And of course, Audrey and William Holden together in particular. We'll get into the movies in a minute or more accurately, the ones we chose to tackle today. But before we do that, I would love it if you could tell me about your take on Audrey, how long you've been a fan and how also you came to focus on William Holden as well. Yeah, no, this is very exciting. Um, Audrey Hepburn, I feel like was one of the, you know, when you are first starting out liking movies, I, I don't know if you're like me, but you see one thing and you just like fixate on it and you're like, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so, um, Audrey Hepburn was one that just like took over everything. I was dressing like her. I was trying to talk like her little accents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, how do you do <laughs> you know, things like that? Like, I just loved everything about her. And I found out about her in such a random way. I was watching some um, documentary on AMC about fashion and Hollywood and she had recently passed because her segment was much longer and it was just so beautiful. And I was struck by just how people spoke about her. And this was in, so it was like the mid nineties. So it was Stanley Donnan and people who were still around back then. And Stanley Donnan said like the sweetest thing I've ever heard someone say about a person. It was what Audrey had, you can't learn, you can't teach. 
God kissed her on the cheek and there she was. What a beautiful oh, thing. Beautiful. <laughs> and it was oh my just goodness. so, it just really like, I had such a profound impact on me. Just this woman, like she's just so beautiful in all these clothes, but you know, the, this is a woman with like clothes that I'll never be able to wear because they're like thousands of dollars, <laughs> you know? So it's like, she was this unattainable figure yet. She mm-hmm. isn't because she looks like in her film, she's so charming and she's so relatable in that, you know, rags to riches way, which is a trope, but it's okay. Cause it's Audrey Hepburn. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I, unfortunately, I think she kind of falls into the trappings of what happens to Marilyn Monroe and James Dean, where they, their presence has become commodified to represent something else that doesn't have anything to do with them, um, which is an unfortunate um, side effect of being so famous. Mm-hmm. You know, I will admit that I used to get like protective when I would see like girls and like sororities with like breakfast at Tiffany's paraphernalia and be like, you've never even watched one of those movies. <laughs> but that's like a stupid way to live because oh. she should be for everyone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and we all had those things. Um, but it was, that was always funny to me because it was like, okay, well, even if she is that figure, like if you ever read anything about her, her humanitarian efforts. Oh, yes. um, Yeah. Yeah. And um, surviving World War II and all this stuff. She's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's so remarkable. And also like how she um, worked her way in film. Like she, uh, she wanted to be a mother. So she put her family first. Um, You know, there's that famous, uh, story about the producers of breakfast at tiffany's not wanting the song in and she stood up for herself and was like Mm -hmm. no and then that becomes like a memorable part of it so just like those little things like kind of contradict that she was just like a fairy you know yeah (laughs) she was like a real woman who had real um agency and um i just feel like you can learn a lot about her so um i'm just always fascinated by her And, um, you know, I just, I love like her older films later on, like um, Robin and Miriam, where she was, you know, she's still beautiful, but like, she's so natural, like she Mm -hmm. gracefully. And that's such a great position for her to be in. Not every woman could say that they allow themselves to age gracefully, but it's nice that she had that, um, security in herself to do that and so those little things I just she really is always fascinating to me I feel like I'm always learning something new or coming across a photo that I've never seen before online that like you know shows just how like beloved she was but also you know how exciting like there's this really cool um YouTube video where she's speaking like seven different languages because she was mm. multilingual and just like here she is speaking Dutch or Italian or, and it's just so cool you know yeah. so yeah I just endlessly fascinated by her yes far more than that one note reputation of a princess or a ballerina or an ingenue like walking down the stairs like she was a woman to be uh, reckoned with a great woman 
you mentioned when she passed. I do remember that pretty vividly. It was like 93. It was in sixth grade. And my math teacher at the time actually was um, teary. He came in, he had heard it and he had to like, he started a lesson and he had to stop and go out in the hall. And then he came back in when he collected himself and told us like, you know, who she was. And somebody's like, oh, is that just from breakfast at Tiffany's? And then he started in with her childhood and it was, yeah. So that was really um, just a fascinating lesson to learn at a young age. I think the first movie I ever saw her in was probably My Fair Lady in grade school. Um, my music teacher, who was also my piano teacher briefly, um, was showing it. They had to show a musical to every grade each year. And I, I find that movie kind of grating now as an adult. But as a kid, it was like, what is this? It's incredible. It's very funny. You've got Rex Harrison. Uh, I think it was the horse race scene was just making me laugh and her, you know, Cockney accent. So, yeah, I remember being just completely um, taken by her and wondering who she was. She's one of the first stars I remember learning about her real life, apart from, you know, just uh, her inside the frame and thinking she was, you know, the princess or the girl in the tree and Sabrina so I think Natalie Wood was probably the first one I ever read a book about. And then it was probably Audrey Hepburn. So yeah, she captured my attention at a imagination at a young age. And how about for um, William Holden? Cause I know he's a great love of yours. So did that go in tandem or separately? So it's kind of interesting. William Holden, I was introduced to him from the I Love Lucy episode that he was in. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was a, I was a big Lucy fan. Um, and I didn't make the connection of who he was till later. Cause I had seen, I had seen Sabrina and then I was, I just, I thought he was so handsome and I thought they had so <laughs> much chemistry and I just yeah. loved them together. And, um, then it wasn't until a little bit later that I re I saw the episode again. I was like, Oh God, that's the same guy. <laughs> Cause he kind of <laughs> looks, he appears a bit different. Cause in the episode, he's like a movie star and like, mm-hmm. uh, like kind of like guarded, but funny later on, like yeah. very charming. And like, you know, when you're younger, you're not really recognizing the no. people. And, and so when I figured that out, I was like, Oh, wow. So I like to think he was just waiting for me to. <laughs> yes. To be. Him. Yep. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, to be perfectly honest and um, lame is that I just thought he was so handsome. <laughs> I just thought he was the most there handsome. There is nothing wrong never, with that. Hello. Yes. I never, <laughs> I'd never seen on screen, like, you know, I'm like, what, 11? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, this is, this is what I want. I want to go to some like big party and like this man in a white suit, just whisk me off my feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, yeah, I just, I watched like other movies of his where he's just a very romantic leading man, like born yesterday, like comedy. Oh gosh, yes. Like, so it was a good kind one. of funny because then you see like what he was really famous for, which is all these anti-hero horrible yeah. men. <laughs> it was really funny how I kind of came around him and then realized like 
as I got older, like, oh, wow, like, this is the kind of stuff he was doing. But then, oh, my gosh, he had all these other films where he was um, so wonderful. And he is wonderful in his own self-loathing ways. And those oh, yeah. other films. <laughs> but like, kind of figuring that out. And I just found that so interesting, because I feel like in the classic era, a lot of those leading men wanted to be the hero or nothing. Mm. And I know that's not the case with, you know, films, film noir films, people like Robert Bryan and Robert Mitchum. There's some different, um, I know he's not the only one to do that, but for me, that's how I came across him. And um, that's what I found so fascinating. And I just don't feel he's as talked about as the others. And I don't know if that's because of his um, untimely death or um, because it's fascinating because a lot of these famous films like, you know, Sunset Boulevard, Network, these ones that um, like are spoken about a lot are kind of spoken about for other reasons. And he just happens to be in them which is yes oh that's a really good point yeah especially Boulevard it's all about Gloria Swanson and like he's the star um and and, and, network uh, you have yeah Peter Finn going all over the place and he's so good and I think there's something to the fact that like all those people were nominated for Oscars and he shares all their best scenes yeah and um you know, I think there's something to be said about that. So I just find him so fascinating. Um, you know, he's not a Hollywood person. He was very like kind of a loner in a way, like, well, not really because he traveled the world and, but he just wasn't really into the scene. If that makes gotcha. sense. No, that makes sense. But um, yeah. So there's just, I feel like a lot of um, really interesting levels to him that I think, should be discovered and discussed more. Um, There's only two biographies written about him and they were written a long time ago. And they, unfortunately, they kind of play into the salaciousness of his um, death, which is unfortunate. And I, so I really hope that, um, you know, talking about him on Twitter or just kind of, you know, putting more about his work first can just really remind people of what kind of um, star he was. Cause he was a huge box office star. And just the fact that he could be heroes in one, certain films and then show like the nuances of the human experience. And then also in his later work, like um, films like breezy or um, the omen sequel oh yeah exactly he really leans into his wrinkles because he unfortunately alcohol aged him so much Mm -hmm. but he uses that to um to really enhance his performances in ways that I just don't see a lot of actors do I feel like they don't like to show that they're old or they're like father figures or something but he was still showing like he had a wife and like or he had a young lover and things like that where um I just find that so interesting yeah no like use that to his advantage I think that's so important you're helping to keep his impact his legacy and his range on the front burner instead of all the gossipy um you know salacious details of his life you mentioned there were about two books on him. I, when I was looking up um, Holden for this episode and doing a little bit more research, 
I was noticing there was a book called like Audrey and Bill and everybody was complaining about it. So I was going to ask you your opinion on it. Is it horrible? Uh, it's not horrible. (laughs) It's an interesting premise because, um, I think like it's a dual biography. Basically, um, they had a, uh, an affair on the set of Sabrina and he, um, I don't know where the quote originates, but he said that he considered her the love of his life. But then again, yes. I don't, I haven't really found where that comes from. Okay. Yeah. So, and yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, you have, so no they're idea. kind of stretching. Yeah. They're, they're brief they time together. This thing into as a like, thesis. <laughs> yeah. As if it was like an over thing, like he would pop into his, her life and that didn't yeah. happen. <laughs> so making it also, the thorn birds basically. Yes. Yeah. But also because <laughs> they ended up making Paris when it sizzles, yeah. and, um, which we'll talk about. And unfortunately, when with his alcoholism, that was the first, and I, I believe it was the only film where his problem um, really took over. Yeah, and he just couldn't handle it, like being with her. But she was married to Mel Ferrer. She was married to Mel Ferrer for a while, mm-hmm. um, and he was like on the set. He was actually um, with Capucine during the production. So, it, and there's like this story that he may have like climbed to Audrey Hepburn's like, like hotel or something like in a drunken stupor. Um, but so it's all kind of, it's just weird. It's a little wonky. <laughs> it yeah. was just, these are just <laughs> bad stories. We don't need to make a full book on them. Like there's just little anecdotes. Um, do I own the book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to check it out for myself. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're a um, fan. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um it's yeah, it fast just food really, and bios, basically. Yes. Yeah, it just didn't really say anything new. So it was kind of like you could get this on Wikipedia or whatever. Yeah. I know. Kind of like it kind of just shows the sources. It just wasn't really like if you actually don't know either of them and like are interested, like it's not badly written. It was just kind of like, these aren't great stories to string along into this long book. Into this. Yeah. It's kind of a sprawling. It's not making a thing. I won't deny that they had an affair and all that oh, stuff, yeah. but it makes it seem like it was this. And all like, be Spencer all. Tracy, Catherine Hepburn thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> trying to make it a bigger thing than it was. Yeah. I've got you. No, that makes sense. Well, well, I'm sure we're going to be referencing a number of other titles along the way for our films today. We will be discussing Roman Holiday, Sabrina, and Paris When It Sizzles. So just a heads up, if you haven't seen these movies, and you really should, you might want to proceed with caution, as spoilers of varying degrees will likely make their way into today's chat. But kicking things off, we have the film that put Audrey Hepburn on the map and introduced her to the world beyond small British and Dutch films. It also garnered her an Oscar. That's right, it's the 1953 romantic comedy, Roman Holiday, from producer-director William Wyler and a surprisingly tender, yet at times surprisingly saucy screenplay from Dalton Trumbo based upon his own story idea and John Dighton. At the time, due to the blacklist, screenwriter Ian McClellan Hunter fronted for Dalton and received credit 
only for Trumbo to get his rightful credit back in the early 21st century. As the movie opens, we meet Hepburn's overworked, thinly stretched Anne, a young princess from an unnamed European nation who, after an anxiety attack on a state visit to Rome, escapes from the watchful eye of her royal minders when she's given an experimental calming sedative in the middle of the night asleep yet oh so happy alone on a bench in the dark of night american newsman joe bradley gregory peck is hesitant to leave the lovely stranger alone with no choice but to take her home until she sobers up enough to tell him her name and address he's shocked to discover the next day that he has a hot princess under his roof but goes along with her pretense that she's a schoolgirl named anya playing hooky in order to sell his story reminiscent of a fairy tale as well as it happened one night except much more bittersweet this is easily my favorite audrey hepburn movie and i couldn't wait to watch it again to discuss with you so what are your thoughts on roman holiday um to me roman holiday is the quintessential Audrey Hepburn movie. I know people want to say Breakfast at Tiffany's or My Fair Lady, but this one I feel like is a real showcase of everything that makes her so special. She's um, right off the bat, it's something so exciting with her introducing credit. And so who is this? And, uh, you know, she's so beautiful in the um, princess clothes, but then I love the, you know, the breakdown scene where she just, it's just so moving. And, um, you know, I love when she like goes and gets her hair cut and all that stuff. She's just so charming, like just, and you just can't stop looking at her. She's so sweet and just wide eyed. And it's such a, it's such a great performance and it just shows you so much of what was to come with her. Um, because she just has that star quality, like right off the bat. It's she like, does. It's magnetic. <laughs> you know, it really is. She's just so special. And you're just like, I can't wait to see what else you get to do. Um, yeah, I just think it's such a sweet performance. She's so good with Gregory Peck. Um, they have like, I know a common thing of her films. She's always paired with an older man, an older man, but the chemistry, (laughs) my goodness, (laughs) post war weirdness. Uh, But yeah, the chemistry is so um, it's really like, even though he's like trying to get a story, you never really feel like he's um, taking advantage of her. You feel like he wants the, like he understands what's happening. And I Mm -hmm. always think that's really, really nice when I watch it. Um, I love the scene where she says something like never been in bed with a man before that I didn't know. Never, yes. Never. <laughs> yeah, something I've never been al- alone with a man before, even with my dress on, which yeah. I love. Yes. <laughs> it's so cute. Oh, yes. she's so cute. I love Eddie Albert too. Um, oh they're my all goodness. Just, yeah. They're all just such like cute little, like, I don't know. Like they just have such a cute rapport with her. I just, I love it so yeah, much. The physical humor in the scene where Peck is trying to prevent uh, his photographer friend played by Eddie Albert from revealing like 
oh my goodness, this is the princess. Like he keeps kicking him and physically trying to stop him from finishing a sentence. Like you look just like, and it just gets so screamingly funny. And then you have that contrasted with really bittersweet things. And yeah, it's just such a beautiful movie. You brought up Peck, their chemistry is unbelievable. And I mean, what a classy guy because he had the power to have that solo star billing. And as the movie went on, he basically said to Wyler, like, no, she deserves the equal, you know, promote her up to either equal billing or closer in the credits. So I do love that. That's a classy gesture because Cary Grant, who, you know, is one of those people who, um, he said he felt like he was too old, but that might be a little bit of a cover uh, to play her love interest. Um, also, he was afraid of some of these movies where the woman was going to be stealing focus for the whole thing. And um, so it's just kind of cool to see. Of course, she did get to work with Cary Grant, but you have Peck here being um, just so gracious. I think he gets overlooked a little bit in this because she's extraordinary. I mean, she's just exactly for everything you were saying, like the quintessential Audrey movie. But I mean, the end of the film just never fails to like make me want to cry. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah and um, I love the Gregory Peck story and I, she always talked about it. Like, I feel like she mentioned it a lot. I think Aww. there's like a Kennedy center honors where she talks about it. And um that was something I think that really affected her because I feel like she was just so generous and mm -hmm. like remembered things like that. Um, and I also, William Wyler was such a good director with her. Yes. Um, like I love what the, her performance in the children's hour is so good as well. Oh, and, so powerful. And so it's nice to see that, um, he would like later direct her again as like, you know, starting with this film and then go on to do a completely different performance. Um, and then in Roman holiday, she has so many close-ups and you just see right off the bat, like the camera loves this woman and she knows how to work. The yes. Well. And um, yeah, like it's, you know, I remember there's a story that she was having a hard time with the scene where, um, she like and they're in the car and she just kind of realizes like we oh, just yeah. we're not gonna be together <laughs> it's just not gonna happen and um I know it took her a while but what you get I just feel like is so um I don't want to say it's not acting because it definitely is but you also get a sense of um <laughs> like intertextuality um, because it's it's her maybe commenting on making the movie a little bit or her yeah, relating exactly it feels like there's a lot more there that happened that day and that she was able to use that like personal experience as well as oh, lovely. Um, you know yeah. just like being within the scene and just the text of it all but yeah that ending yeah and it makes me cry all the it time. really <laughs> does oh my goodness and it's so unbelievable that she won the oscar the same year she won the tony for Ondine, yeah, yeah um, based on the plane by, is it Jean uh, Giraudot, I believe? Um, I am unfamiliar with the play. I've seen various film adaptations of it. Uh, I thought Peter Bogdanovich had a really lovely um, chapter he wrote in uh, Who the Hell's In It, which is a really great book, um, where he's talking about 
his friendship with her and he uh, directed her in, I believe it's, they all laughed. But when he was talking about Roman holiday, he said he believes that Audrey was quote, the last true innocent of the American screen. And I just thought that was a beautiful way to put it. Yeah. I agree with that too. I just feel like, you know, she's someone that couldn't come in the sixties during the Vietnam era because it just wouldn't work. And so to be able to transition and do some offbeat films um, and then not really go away during that time, but really kind of, you know, I don't know when I, I don't know when it started, (laughs) but um, like not in my head right now, but um, you know, I felt like with the, end of the studio system and stuff like she only has 19 films and I think you know for her being a movie star was just not important she wanted a family and that was important to her and during like the new wave she was in Italy but she wasn't really making films Mm -hmm. and so I find that so interesting because I wonder like what could have been um but then also you know but like two for the road and wait until dark and all those films are very interesting and very appropriate for the time you know like she couldn't be making um like she did my fair lady which was also during the time where like those big budget oliver and you know those Mm -hmm. films funny girl were happening um but you know she she yeah. was trying things. <laughs> she was like, able to like transition yeah. to do other types of interesting films that fit her. Yes, exactly. No, you brought up a really good point. It would have been interesting um, to see her in some of those. But I love that Wait Until Dark and Two for the Road. She is experimenting with kind of um, different modes of filmmaking. I mean, I love, don't get wrong, anyone listening, I love Doris Day, but It's not like she was making with Six You Get Egg Roll or anything around this time period. I mean, Audrey was in some fluffier movies um, here and there in the 60s, of course. But yeah, then she was sort of pushing the envelope a little bit. Like Wait Until Dark, I think, is one of her best performances. The Children's Hour, which you mentioned, is just such a powerful film, a real brave film for her and Shirley MacLaine. So yeah, for all of those reasons. Exactly. Really good point. Is there anything you want to add on Roman Holiday besides what we've covered? No. I think I think <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. one, it's like, it's a classic, everyone watch it, basically. Yeah, I really do think that you should start there if you ever, you know. That's good advice, yes. I really, you know, I, like, we don't have to go into Breakfast at Tiffany's being problematic and all yeah. that stuff. Everyone all knows right. that, yes. <laughs> everyone knows that if you don't, like, there are plenty of more articulate people that could speak to it that you can find on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, do a little reading everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think um, like, I think that just really captures her at her best and, you know, she won the Oscar for it and mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah. just a really beautiful film. It's also, you know, it's in Rome. So yes. it's, it's just so nice. It's just a great film. The ultimate launching pad. Yes. And next up, we have her second star vehicle and her second Oscar nomination. So we have Audrey Hepburn's first film with director Billy Wilder and actor William Holden released one year after Roman Holiday and a natural progression for the emerging actress, given that this is another contemporary minded yet old fashioned fairy tale. 1954 Sabrina based upon Samuel A. Taylor's play Sabrina 
Sabrina Fair was adapted for the screen by Wilder, Taylor, and Ernest Lehman. An at times startlingly dark spin on a Cinderella story, the movie finds Audrey Hepburn playing Sabrina Fairchild, not a princess this time, but the daughter of a wealthy New York um, Larrabee family chauffeur, desperately in love with the handsome serial womanizing playboy David Larrabee, played by Holden, from afar after a suicide attempt and then a culinary school sabbatical in Paris where she attends Le Cordon Bleu. Sabrina returns home a little older, a little wiser, yet still hopelessly devoted to David, who, enticed by her French makeover, notices her this time, jeopardizing a new personal and professional business relationship, swooping in to attract, seduce, and distract Sabrina and send her back to Paris is a game yet honestly, in my eyes, miscast. I think he would agree. Humphrey Bogart as Linus, the older Larrabee son who be responsible hope for the family's financial future and also a bachelor by design. Melting his icy exterior, the longer he spends with Sabrina, the incredibly cleverly written yet dated work is a great deal of fun. Even if I am the odd gal out a little bit, who as Kelsey Ford and I discussed earlier this year, on the Comfort Movies Brightwall Dark Room episode, shockingly prefers the Sidney Pollock remake of the film from 95. Yes, sacrilegious, I know. But this is still a ball and quite subversive, very romantically cynical at times, in a way that's far more daring, I think, than it is considered due to its fluffy reputation. So what is your take on this one? Oh, don't be so hard on 1995. It's very cute. It's very charming. (laughs) You know, I think, like, I think it still has that, like, like, innocence to it and, like, you know, wide-eyed, all that stuff, which makes it I watch it all the time. (laughs) And I think, I like Greg Kinnear in it. I think he's so great. (laughs) Like, remember when he was a star? (laughs) Yeah. I think that was his launching pad, actually, after the talk soup yeah he does (laughs) um so yeah I love Sabrina I just it's just comfort food for me I think it's so sweet and you're right it is very shockingly um dark sometimes you know she's about to commit suicide like (laughs) very early yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's very early um in the film I think I love her dialogue in it where she's talking yes. about the moon is reaching for me and stuff. I yeah, just, it's it lovely. Be, you know, it's probably corny to some people, but it gets me every time. I think yes. it's just so, so sweet. And it, it like really, I saw it at a time when I was like a young, like tween, just trying to figure things out. And it really left an effect on me. I just thought it was, um, you know, because at, at the end she realizes like, it's not about this, these men, like it's about no. me and like putting my um, ambitions first and finding my passion for cooking or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think with Audrey Hepburn films, the fashion kind of um, just gets this reputation of being so like blah, like, ugh, <laughs> you know, like yeah. um, what's the word? Uh emblematic of like the whole film basically (laughs) yeah they they seem to forget like I think fashion is very important to certain characters but I think with Audrey Hepburn there's this um need to be like oh it's so fluffy or you know yeah that's um, true like 
it gets into this trapping of like, was she a great actress or was this the persona? And like, I just was think she that. dressed well. Yeah. I hate <laughs> that criticism. Right. Yeah. I don't yeah. really like that because I think at most, like, you know, yeah, there's a formula both? to certain films and um, there's some weird tropes with the older men or like, yeah. you know, I think some people try to make it a bigger deal. Like, yeah. Like all she did was makeover <laughs> movies or something yeah, and because then, of little moments. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, And I feel like if you look at those films, you can see these characters really develop a more independent um, journey and really find themselves. And these like the fashion and stuff are secondary. They're not sure. like so integral to what it makes the movie special. And so I think that's important, an important distinction when you watch her films. And I understand just like everyone else, like she's not, she's not going to appeal to everyone and that's okay. But I think she deserves kind of a second look in when we talk about her. I just feel like her characters deserve a little bit more credit that they aren't just these like, you know, superficial yeah <laughs> exactly yeah I agree um, with you that's a really good point and um I, yeah Sabrina I just think is a really sweet tale I love um when she comes back and they're dancing at the party that's uh the engagement party but she thinks it's for her <laughs> um, yeah. but you see like the wait staff like waving because you know they're like oh wow she's like you yeah. know Trend becoming part of them or something like that. It's just so cute. They're like rooting for her. Yeah. Uh, it's the very like way to go, Paula, officer and yeah, gentleman so moment. Cute. Yes. <laughs> um, so I actually like Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> I love him normally. I, you know, I will say that um, when I was rereading pieces from Conversations with Wilder by Cameron Crowe, I was noticing that, you know, at first Wilder's like undercutting him. He's making fun of, uh, he's like, we wanted Cary Grant, you know, he couldn't get Cary Grant because uh, he's very choosy and he was worried that the girl was going to steal focus and all of that. Um, and then he had some issues with Humphrey Bogart. They put, fought like cats and dogs while they were making the movie. And then later uh, he was fine with him, but he said to um Cameron Crowe he thought about it and he's like you know what Bogart was actually better casting than Cary Grant because he seems more uh like a real businessman and he's like if we would have put Cary Grant in there that's basically he could have played William Holden and that's not really like enough of a stark contrast so so Humphrey was needed and uh, but I love that his initial thought was when they were having casting and first they were like, oh, yeah, we can't get Cary Grant. We can't get Clark Gable. Uh, Wilder said, look, take somebody that is older than Holden and not so pretty. And I just thought that was a funny way to go. But, yeah, I think um, that you brought up to the thing with Audrey Hepburn being kind of diminished as a fashion plate um, in this section in the book with um, Cameron Crowe, he utters that really famous line. I think he said it a few times, but he, he did it again for the book, which is no actress should be expected to be Audrey Hepburn. That dress by Mr. Givenchy has already been filled, but then he goes on and talks about her grace and her personality and you can just tell that he really respected, like she isn't just a fashion plate. And I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like the, the thing too, is I don't want to say that it's like, it's not important because the fashion is important. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, the way she moves in that dress is so different than the, you know, the mousy long, um, black dress with that, like, pinafore like uh yeah like outfit you know and then the the duckling and swan basically yeah Yeah. and it and it but that's the thing like it's important to that you know we recognize that fashion is important it's not like a superficial thing like it really is part of that transformation like that famous pan up when she's getting picked up by William Holden like oh I love that moment and like people are like well, she's still Audrey Hepburn. It's like, yes, but, but <laughs> you know, yeah. she, the way her mannerisms completely change um, are good for the character. Yeah. Um, but going back to Humphrey Bogart, like, I love the scene where he like wears his like Yale outfit. Oh my God. To, in the hat. In yes. the hat. And like, you see the contrast of like, you know, i this is the last time I've hung out with like women when I was in college. And like, yeah. it's so funny. And I, I always laugh because I feel like it's so relatable, like me going to work and, you know, yeah. talking to the people on TikTok or whatever. Yeah. You know? How do you do fellow yeah. kids? Which yeah, is exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is like, he is much like, he just looks so much older, which is kind of weird because yeah. He was married to Lauren Bacall at the time, which I feel like him and her and Audrey Hepburn are probably around the same age. But like, they look so different as a couple than him and Audrey Hepburn. Like, I believe Bogart and Bacall, and I believe Hepburn and Bogart. You know? Yeah, yeah. They didn't really just have the chemistry. I know part of it too. um, Bogart was frustrated. He wanted uh, Bacall to play Sabrina. And I think that might have gotten in his own way a little bit. He was angry. Um, He gave Wilder a hard time. I didn't realize that Wilder started shooting this thing before he had a finished script. Maybe I knew that and I forgot, but he would like rewrite. And then um, sometimes Audrey would help him out and flub lines on purpose to like give them more time to um, write, you know, the scene basically and shoot it in the afternoon then or push it another day. And so um, Bogart would push back like, well, I mean, the script, what is it written in by Cran, by your assistant? What is he nine? You know, like some of this stuff that went on between these two. But I think, you know, Bogart brings a different quality to this. He seems to be like Linus. And I can mm-hmm. appreciate that. I, I wish they had more chemistry, uh, but yeah, I but I do love. I mean, he has such a great on-screen presence. You're not going to get better than that, though. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing where at the end of the movie, I'm like, okay, they'll go to Paris and they'll have some coffee, <laughs> some nice cafes, but like. Yeah. He's they just going to figure out he'll be on his own and she'll be fine. Yeah. I don't know and if they're going to work. Cause but... like, that's my happy ending. Cause like <laughs> Sabrina should be alone. Like line or David wasn't very great. <laughs> like, yeah. He shouldn't have just like dumped his fiance, <laughs> you know I, I mean? Know. Yeah. Whereas no. kind of in the nineties one, you're sort of like, I don't know. They seem it's crazy because of course she had really good chemistry with Holden, although Wilder, I don't know if he was just protecting her reputation so that he had no idea that they were involved. Whereas Bogart said he definitely did. So I don't know what to make of that, but it's gossip who really cares. But, um, but in the new one, I love uh, Kinnear. I think they kind of softened up 
Linus a bit. Like in the original, he has several wives. He's had a bunch of failed mm-hmm. marriages. And so in the newer one, you're kind of like, well, maybe, you know, Julia Orman should be with Greg Kinnear at the end of this movie or something like that. But in this one, you're like, I don't know if either of the Larrabee guys is right for Sabrina. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. But I, I just, I do. Um, yeah. Because I like their chemistry, but I'm also like, yes. what? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Like, how can you do that to his like fiance? I know. And then you kind of realize like it's more of a business murder. It's like, oh, this is a mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just, just get at, just see the inside of the Larrabee Corporation leave. <laughs> yeah. It's like, enjoy your two weeks or whatever, and then get out. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, when it comes to Billy Wilder, my favorite one he made with Audrey Hepburn. And I think I'm in the minority here because a lot of people disliked um, Love in the Afternoon, but I really loved Love in the Afternoon. Again, with Gary Cooper, where you're kind of like, God, you know, it's, it's a little creaky and it's a little, um, I know she in her, uh, I think it was her autobiography, talked about how she had a crush on him and she loved, you know, being his leading lady and stuff like that. And her adoration also just like with uh, Fred Astaire and Funny Face, these men who were way too old. Um, But yeah, I love Love in the Afternoon. So I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on that one? Are you kind of like, no, no, I like it too. Oh, okay. I, uh, but it's the same thing. You watch yeah. it, please. <laughs> but then I'm, I'm like, also like, know. well, yeah. but I'm also like, what did I turn down, Gary Cooper? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so conflicted here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, age things, like, it's funny because I don't know why they look weird to me because they're, and especially in classic movies, they happen. I mean, look at, uh, Grace Kelly, jeez. <laughs> My goodness. She was you know? always getting fixed up with these people. Yeah. yeah. And like sometimes like Kim Novak and Vertigo and what the Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's such a it's such an interesting thing when it's not until you get older and you rewatch them that you're like, oh my God, like this yeah. is kind of weird. And how often it happens. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't like I don't know how I feel about that exactly because I'm kind of like you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> like I've never yeah. it's not that I because I like think you, you don't want to make a sweeping statement about she can't be with older people like you know yeah it happens every day um but yeah it just sort of depends on chemistry character and how it's handled I guess I don't ever want to just watch a movie like well you know, where people were getting angry if they see a trailer and they're like, oh my gosh, they're 20 years apart. Maybe we'll watch the movie first and see how it works, basically. Yeah, because I yeah. don't want to make a sweeping judgment on just like... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> May-December romance, like, because no. I don't... <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, there. It. I think, again, like when I'm watching a film, it's the chemistry that sticks out to me. Personally, I don't buy it in your window and that's why I've never really connected with that movie. And I know that is sacrilege because that is a great movie. <laughs> but like that central um, couple is just, I don't know, it, it just yeah. doesn't work for me. Uh-huh. Um, even though that's a great film. Yeah. Thelma uh, Ritter forever. Uh, oh, <laughs> like <yes>. that's, <laughs> those are That's kind of how I, I feel with it. And like Raymond Burr, scary. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so scary. Um, yeah. Yeah. It so. just depends on its treatment. For sure. 
Um, and Holden, his performance, was this an early movie that you saw with him where you were? Um, yeah, it was one of the few, the one of the earlier films. And I just, you know, I thought he was so handsome. And like, you know, when you're young, you're not getting that like real text of like, oh, he just like, is <laughs> like yeah. tossing away his fiance and like, you know, going like what a engagement you know what I mean so I but like the more I watch it um as I said it's a comfort film he's just so funny in it like he's kind of this dumb blonde guy and um you don't get to see him that way and like being um dumb I guess (laughs) like yeah he's kind of a comedy yeah yeah he's got that physical comedy with the um the hammock that's made of plastic. I know him and Humphrey Bogart also didn't get along, but like yes, they have a I funny little rapport. Like yes. I don't buy them as brothers. No, not at all. But they have, <laughs> but they do have like a funny rapport in it in like certain scenes that I appreciate a lot. Um, so yeah, I just I enjoy him in it a lot. I think it's just a very different role. Um And I think he does well. And him and Audrey are so, so great together. Mm -hmm. And like you could, that scene where he picks her up and like, they're talking the way he smiles at her, you could just, you feel that like real passion that they had um, an affinity for each other. It's just, it's right there. Just how happy he looks. No, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And jumping ahead 10 years, we have the reunion picture for Audrey Hepburn and William Holden. 1964's Paris When It Sizzles, directed by the great and, in my view, woefully underdiscussed Richard Quine, is a remake of the 1952 French film Holiday for Henrietta, written by George Axelrod. This bright, daffy, episodic, very 60s film is undoubtedly an odd one. Unconventional by design, the movie about a screenwriter played by Holden and his new assistant secretary, typist, her muse, Audrey Hepburn, has little to no plot, save for them acting out various ideas as he struggles to write a film I really want to love more than I do, I'm afraid, but it's filled with Easter eggs and other notable figures and cameos, including Tony Curtis, essentially filling in for Holden during a stint at rehab. Noel Coward, even a few bars of a song by Frank Sinatra. It isn't my favorite, but it's definitely stylish. It's well worth a look. And a movie I know you and Kate especially adore. So I would love to hear your thoughts on Paris when it sizzles. I think you have a very diplomatic approach to it than most people. I, I know when I said I was watching it, people were like, oh my God, I hate it. And it's like, I don't hate it. It's just not really. You know, it. it's one of those films where I will confess that I always wish was better. Yeah. You know, because it has all the ingredients to be better than it is. It just doesn't quite work. Yeah. Um, but I also, again, I will say I have a bias that it's a comfort movie for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you need um, those. yeah. And I, uh, completely agree about Richard Quine. Like what a career, like he was an oh actor and then also like his noirs, like drive a crooked road. Over. And, uh, yeah. Oh <laughs> so good. Yeah. And all then, the ones um, he made with Kim Novak, speaking of Kim Novak. Yeah. yeah. They were a couple for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, you know, this kind of goes in the vein of 
another film that I wish was better than it is Sex and the Single Girl. <laughs> and, I am uh, with you. I just rewatched that <laughs> recently for the first time in forever. And I was like going in thinking, I think this was really great. And I'm like, I think I thought it was greater than it is. Yeah, but it's still fun. But yeah. Yeah, it's like, um, and then a one that is great, uh, Bell Book and Candle. It's got that like quirky yes. 60s ness to it. Um, so Paris, when it sizzles, you you just nailed it. You just did a great job with the backstory. <laughs> um, you know, it is, some parts of it are actually like rewatching it for this. Like um, Audrey Hepburn is very thin in this film and oh, that's a good point she really is. it was in a way that like I don't know why it bothered it didn't bother me but I found it hard to watch certain scenes I don't really know why I haven't really yeah. had that wonder if um, it was nerves like to reunite yeah, I, don't, or, I, don't I don't really know. know what it was but that was something that just stuck out to me in a way that like I've never had that with any of her films which she was a notoriously thin woman that was yeah um, a thing but um, yeah, for some reason, it just really stood out. I guess maybe because I'm just older now. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> uh, things yeah. can just like strike you differently. But that mm-hmm. did this time around. Um, but I, you know, I enjoy it just because like it's sad because it wasn't a happy production. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you don't know that when you watch it because no. they're just gallivanting around Paris. <laughs> and I love the... Um, I love a movie with like inner jokes about Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. It's not taking itself seriously. No. Yeah. In the beginning, he's talking about Marlena Dietrich and then she shows up and it's cute in that sense because, um, you know, they didn't really do that back then. No, Um, it was an early spoof of, (laughs) yeah, of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, you know, the film is interesting because it's in that, it's early sixties. So it's after the, um, I guess the studio system was this, sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, oh, it's early sixties. So there's more freedom. Like, you know, there's a lot like bikinis and, you know, like they're yeah. really like pushing in terms of like showing skin here. And also like, you know, there's some very like suggestive sexy moments with Audrey Hepburn yeah. and William Holden that are just, kind of like, oh, <laughs> um, and it reminds me of like Casino Royale, that um, other, it was like a James Bond spoof. It has like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. You can tell that influence of um, James Bond types of film or Matt Helm or like, you know, where they're like trying to play with um, suggestive clothing and, mm-hmm. you know, um, little, you know, innuendos here and there. Yeah. No, um, absolutely. So, so I find that really interesting. Yeah. One thing I thought was really refreshing, of course, watching this in 2021 when everyone is afraid of color, like Matt Solarzeitz had a good tweet. I think it was a week or two ago where he said, you know, don't you wish that black and white uh, filmmaking was in vogue again? So these people that hate color could just make black and white movies. But anyway, when I was watching this, it was like shelter from the storm of not being able to tell prestige drama A from B, C, D, E, and F, or the latest movie apart was, wow, look at this. It's so colorful and so vibrant. And so that was a really nice thing to, when I was rewatching it, like, yes, we used to like color. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's super vibrant. And like, yeah. I love the party scene. Oh, at yeah. The end. Absolutely. Um, and Mel Ferrer's in that too. And then, you know, Tony, Tony Curtis has more of an arc, as you mentioned. Um, and it's fun to see Audrey Hepburn and William Holden just so playful and just kind of doing whatever, you know, because they were such big stars at the time. And um, it's just, not every, not every star I feel like got to do stuff like that, you know? No. And like you mentioned, like Doris Day, she gets to do like stuff mm-hmm. like that and um, like Rock Hudson and those type of people. Um, but Marilyn, sorry, no, <laughs> but Audrey Hepburn and William Holden, like seeing them in that kind of space, it's just so different when you look at their other filmographies. Like a lot of times I forget that they made this. <laughs> because it's just very it's so different um and so that's why I like encourage people to watch it just because it's not something you expect from them like I feel like all the other films like make sense but this one is just it's just weird (laughs) so quirky where's Waldo of the (laughs) Audrey Hepburn career and it's cool you brought that up because when the box set arrived I'm like which one was Paris when it's and then I get it out and I looked at the picture and I was thinking Oh, yeah, that's right. I went to a liberal arts college in Atlanta very briefly. Like, this would have been almost 20 years ago now. And when I went there, um, the there was no film program. So, I mean, I was going to be leaving pretty soon anyway. But in the library, there was only about a dozen movies that they had. For whatever reason, this was like the only Audrey Hepburn that they had or else was checked in or hadn't been ruined yet. So I remember renting this and watching it at the time, like, what is this? Like, it was just so bizarre and I hadn't seen it since. So it brought back that experience of like being in Atlanta in the middle of nowhere and like not breakfast at Tiffany's, not my fair lady. It's like, we have Paris when it sizzles. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's why I picked it too, because you said it completely. There is no plot. <laughs> there's no, no there's no character it's a hangout growth. movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is a hangout movie. They are just doing whatever. If you ever wanted to see William Holden dressed as a vampire, you will hear. If you Not want to, going for it. Yeah. You know, if you to see Audrey Hepburn fly a plane, she does it here. Yeah. It's yeah. just all very like, let's just put you in these scenarios. And um Throw yeah, everything at the wall, see what sticks. One of those movies. Yeah. Exactly. Um, again, she's with Givenchy and she has beautiful clothes. Um, and they're in Paris, another Hepburn trope. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's one that, like, you know, you should watch. It's a good, it's fun. It might not be like funny. <laughs> yeah. But I think, but I think- you'll find it amusing. I think when you walk away from it, you're like, oh, that was an experience. Like, yeah. <laughs> like every actor has that kind of film in their filmography. Some are mm-hmm. better than others. Um, I don't think like this oddity is the greatest for either of them, but it's just really, it's such an interesting um, example of what was going on after the studio system and, you know, the counterculture movement and um, all that stuff. It's like you have these two um, actors, part of the old guard of the yeah, you know, on the cusp of what's coming. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and like some people, they you know, we see the Betty Davises of the world do like the Grand Dame Guignol and you know horror, and for some people, and um, you know other types of 
yeah um, suddenly you know, become a this villain was kind of suddenly, like what, yeah yeah this was kind of one of their it's like part sex comedy part caper part like behind the scenes of hollywood there's a lot going on is yes. what i'm trying to say a lot of I moving think, parts yeah yeah i think it's really interesting it was i think it was shelved for about a year which also yeah is it said it was like finished in 62 and i think they released it in 64 like paramount just had no idea what to do with it which I mean, those are always kind of the most fascinating movies to watch anyway. So you're like, okay, the you greenlit this and then you had no idea, like, what do we do with it now? And so, I mean, you can't not be curious. People who are listening, check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such an interesting, um, you know, it's such an interesting run of films because you have Breakfast at Tiffany's, you have Charade, you've got Two for the Road, you've yeah. got My Fair Lady and I don't know where Paris, what it sizzles, fits in that. <laughs> but it's like, those are a great run of movies. And this one definitely had the potential to be, I mean, you got Richard Quine, oh, yes. you know, all these things. And yeah, sometimes things just don't work out. Um, yeah. It's like just, me cooking in the kitchen. You have the ingredients, <laughs> but sometimes if, if I'm in there, I'm going to mess it up. And that's what happened, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think it's, um, it's a fun one to watch, you know, when you yeah. put it have that perspective to it and, uh, you know, it's yeah. not for everyone. <laughs> I know. Don't go in thinking it's going to be like Citizen Kane, but you know, if you're in the right mood for it, meet it halfway, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. But I know those were all the movies we thought we would tackle at the moment. So I didn't monopolize your whole day, but there's plenty more where they came from. We touched on a few of them. Um, so whether for Hepburn or this box set, anyone curious, there's more to see, but for anyone listening who might either be new to Audrey Hepburn or looking for a refresher or a film, they should take a closer look at, are there any others you recommend that they seek out? Um, first of all, this box set is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much it costs or whatever, but like, it is definitely a must have, um, so highly recommend to people who uh, want to check it out. Um, for me, I really love charade. I think it's very fun. Yes, um, I know. It's I, you know, it's directed by Stanley Donnan, and she made several films with him and um, with Cary Grant. And it's just, I think anyone will enjoy it. The um, so I really hope people seek that out. Yeah. Um, I also really love Two for the Road and Wait Until Dark. I think those are some of her best performances. I'm so um, glad you brought those up. Yes. Yeah, they're just, they're different films for her and she's so good in them. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely check those out. I think, you know, they show a much more mature Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. Um, just a woman, like, you know, she's married, Um and I think in Wait Until Dark, she's a mother. And so those are really, I always find those interesting when you get to see um, actors kind of in those types of spaces. Um, because some of them, I, I just feel like sometimes you don't realize they're the, playing those parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also in Wait Until Dark, she's blind. And it's a very, um, really interesting and intense performance it is. Uh, great Alan Arkin supporting performance oh as my well. gosh so, one for the ages yes. yeah a very yeah. very scary and just a really um really great film 
And I would also um, encourage it's longer, but it's also one that doesn't get talked about war and peace. It's part, I know it's part of this box set. Um, I'm not familiar. Like I read the book in high school, but I'm not familiar with other adaptations, but I think she's great in this. Mm -hmm. Um, She's opposite her husband, Mel Ferrer or her first husband um, in that one. And they have like really great chemistry in it. Um, I think this is the only time they're on film together. I know he directed her in green mansions, um, but I I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Okay. Not such a good picture. (laughs) Yeah. This is a podcast. She, she did the thumbs down a little bit, but yeah, (laughs) to explain. Yes. But she's too white. So yeah, (laughs) don't go in thinking it's going to be, yeah, it's not Roman holiday. Yeah. Hey, not, you know, give it to Mel Ferrer. He wanted, yeah. he tried things out. Like he tried to be a director, like good for him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think she's great in the, um, in War and Peace. She's, so she plays Natasha and she's really, she's just really great in it. Um, it's just, I think it gets overlooked because it's long and it's a period piece and, um, but it's just not talked about enough. And I think she's really great in it. Um, she looks beautiful and it's she's Henry Fonda's in it as well. And I think there's a lot going for that film that um, people don't really talk about. Very cool. Yeah. Well, Diana, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge of Audrey and Holden and classic movies and your passion. This was really such a delight. I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. This was so wonderful. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.